Okay, so I think what happens in a networking situation is that people use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. You know, hi, my name's uh, Ivan, Nikki, great to meet you. Hey, we should do business. And they go right to selling rather than building any kind of relationship. And I'm a firm believer that if you want to build business, you build relationships first, that the relationships lead to business. And, you know, a number of people disagree with that and that's okay, but it's worked pretty well for me and for many of the people I know. And so it's it's about, networking's more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with people, not about closing deals. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. This gentleman is a repeat guest. He has not been on the show one time. He's been on the show two previous times. This gentleman is the father of modern networking. He's the creator of the movement that is BNI. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Dr. Ivan Meisner. Welcome to the show, Ivan. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be on again. I appreciate you having me back. Ivan, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. And listen, before the show started, I think I I shared with you that my father had just passed, and we're going to be dedicating today's show to my father, Napoleon Ballou. Napoleon was, in a lot of ways, a man just like yourself, Ivan. He really cared about his fellow man and, and fellow woman. He really went out of his way to make a difference for people. He wanted to uplift people. Those are qualities you share with him in abundance. So, It's an honor to have this dedicated episode to my father with you, Ivan. Thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. I lost my dad about a year and a half ago, so uh, I understand. And uh, our, our prayers are with your family, Nikki. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry for your loss as well. So, Ivan. I, I know you a bit because we've done this a couple times before and I've read a bunch of your books and I'm, I'm good friends with some people you're good friends with like Raymond Aaron and Kai Bjorn, but not everyone in my audience knows who you are. And the way that they come onto the show is they come onto the show because they're, they're a hero, they're a shero, they're someone who wants to make a difference for their fellow human being, and they want to learn from you how they can do that. But before they can give you their heart, they need to know yours. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Ivan Meister? <laughs> well, I don't know if, if I'll uh, go that far, but uh, I, you know, I, I started a, a little networking organization 35 years ago. Uh, my intention was that it would be just one chapter. I was a management consultant, a business consultant. And um, we started meeting regularly, this one group, and people came and asked if I'd help them open up a second group and a third group and a fourth group. And uh, today, 35 years later, this is our 35th anniversary as a company. Uh, Today, we have over uh, 9,500 chapters in more than 70 countries around the world. 
That number absolutely blows me away. 9,500 chapters in over 70 countries around the world. That tells me something powerful. So this is more than just a business. This is more than just a way for people to make a little bit more money. This is truly a movement. This is a way that people can connect and connect with one another far more powerfully, far more deeply in very meaningful ways. Ivan, I know you believe this to be true. Talk to us a bit about that. How did that come to be? Well, I think um, our here's a couple of things. One is that we don't teach networking in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. It's just not taught. And so what we try to do in BNI is teach people how to network effectively and that networking is really about relationship building. And our, our principal core value, the philosophy of BNI is, I think, one of the things that sets us aside from other networking groups. And I can sum up that core value in, in two words, givers gain. Mm. If you want to get business, you got to be willing to help other people get business. And so by helping and supporting other people, they're going to do the same for you. Last year, the, the organization worldwide passed 12.3 million referrals, and we generated for our members 16.7 billion with a B, 16.7 US, a billion US dollars worth of business for our members all over the world. And I think that's happened because of this philosophy of, hey, let me help you and and build a relationship and then you help me and we'll all do better. Okay. Let me repeat those numbers. I just want to make sure I got them straight. 12.3 million referrals and 16.7 billion dollars in new business, billion with a B in new business yeah. as a result of the BNI movement. Wow. Yeah, that was just last year. Yeah, 2019. Unbelievable. Actually, and, and very believable. I'll tell, you how we, I'll tell you how we know the numbers. Our members give it to us. We have a, a platform called BNI Connect, and they enter their, they enter it themselves. So that's the number they uh, have given us. Wow. Ivan, why is this possible? Why is it that this works? Let's let's really dig into that. Let's get granular. Okay, so I think what happens in a networking situation is that people use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. You know, hi, my name's uh, Ivan, Nikki, great to meet you. Hey, we should do business. And they go right to selling rather than building any kind of relationship. And I'm a firm believer that if you want to build business, you build relationships first, that the relationships lead to business. And, you know, a number of people disagree with that and that's okay, but it's worked pretty well for me and for many of the people I know. And so it's, it's about networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with people, not about closing deals. You know, there's a lot of power to that statement and to that philosophy. My, my father used to say, take less than you need and give more than you have. It's, yeah. a, it's a variation of your philosophy of giver's gain, if you will. And yeah, absolutely. Powerful, powerful philosophy because at the heart of it stands your heart. In order for you to be a relationship builder, you need to be somebody who cares. You need to be somebody who's genuinely interested in what the person before you is dealing with inside their life, inside their business. And you need to be willing to step forward and give. That's how the whole giver's gain philosophy works. If you're ready to give something to somebody else first, then it's only natural for them through the power of the law of reciprocity to want to give back to you. Isn't that true? 
Yeah, it is true. And what is also true is that you got to feel comfortable with that person before you give them business. And that means you got to build the relationship first. Because when you give a referral, you give a little bit of your reputation away. And if you give a good referral, it enhances your reputation. But if it gives, if you give a bad referral, it hurts your reputation. So I'm not suggesting that in BNI or anywhere that you go around and just start giving people referrals. Instead, what, what I believe, and this is an important thing to note, is that you build the relationship uh, acquire a confidence in their ability to provide a quality product or service and then refer them before you have any expectation that they're going to help you refer them when you think they're good at what they do. And when you do that, then you build, a, you, it's one of the few things that actually expedites a relationship building process is to help someone. And so if you think they're good, refer them, that will do nothing but expedite the relationship in their eyes, which means they're much more likely to refer you. I love that. I think that's so powerful because number one is you're right. When you refer somebody to someone else, you're giving away a bit of your reputation. You're taking a bit of a risk because if it doesn't turn out well, there could be blowback, right? And, yeah, absolutely. And that blowback could be anything from minor to major, right? So there is always a risk. It's important that you take the time to get to know the individual that you're referring. So that's 100%. And in fact, if you don't know somebody and you refer them, you know, that's, that's almost malpractice, right? You, you haven't done your due diligence yet. You're telling someone else to go use them. That isn't yeah. smart. That isn't no, smart. not at all. Not at all. And, and so that's why it takes time. And that's why I say it's more like farming than it is hunting, because it takes months before you really get to know somebody. Now, in a BNI context, we're meeting every week. So that can happen a little faster than normal, but it still takes months before many people are comfortable referring somebody else. And that's part of the process. And what's really interesting, Nikki, is a lot of people say to me, I don't have time to do that. Okay, well, then go out and cold call. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what are your choices? You can advertise. And I'm a believer in advertising, by the way. I, I, I don't badmouth advertising. At the same time, I've asked a large audiences, how many of you raise your hands, big audience, I'll say raise your hands if you've gotten all the business you need from the advertising you did last year. And nobody ever raises their hand, ever. <laughs> and so, okay, so advertising is one way. PR is another, doing interviews like this, it builds a brand. That's what my publicist will be the first to say, look, you can't, you can't rely on PR to, to build your business. You know, it's one tool in your toolbox. Uh, advertising is one tool. Cold calling may be a tool you use. It's one I choose not to use anymore. And, and networking is a tool. So you use all of these tools to build your business. And, and if you don't want to network, then you better have a great publicist that you're paying for and a good advertising campaign because how else are you going to get your business? Truly, how else are you going to get your business? I, yeah. I actually think you have to network. If you're in business in the in 2020, you have to network. If you don't network, people really aren't going to get to know you. Even if you advertise, even these folks that have fantastic brands or are in Facebook campaigns, you know, there's very few people that get to that rarefied air like there are Tony Robbins, like there are Robin Sharma, like there are Brendan Bouchard, right? And those folks maybe they don't need to network but i'll tell you i know that even those folks network i know people who i'm i'm i know robin sharma right i know him pretty well personally i've attended his events i've done business with him in the past and i'm telling you that guy networks that yeah. guy does not rely 
on his brand, on his advertising to get him all his business. He's got some incredible high-level networks. People like, uh, you, you know, NBA basketball players, you know, uh, soccer players for teams like Real Madrid, guys like Sergio Ramos, those kinds of folks. They know Robin and Robin hangs out with them. And because of the relationships that they have with Robin and Robin has with them, everybody benefits. Right. And I know for a fact, without naming names, that Robin gets introduced to really big clients, people who pay him a lot of money to work with him through the powerful relationships that he's already built with some very big and powerful people. Yeah, I agree. Now, you know, as you become more successful, you may be networking at a higher level, but you're still networking. I, I'm still networking. I'm out there meeting people and developing relationships to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to be. You'll, you, you know, to me, networking is life. Networking is like giving yeah. a piece of your heart and your love to the people that you go out there and meet every time. And that's why I believe it's so important, so powerful. So Ivan, you've got a really powerful book called Who's in Your Room that yeah. uh, I'm really excited to have you share with our listener. Please tell us a bit about it. I will. And, it, you know, we're talking about networking. And so uh, as I lead into this book, I want to point out that this book is not about networking. But if you think about it closely, in a way, it's all about networking because it's about the people you surround yourself with. Mm. And that's an important part of networking. So as I describe the book, in your own minds, make the connection because there is actually a pretty deep connection between what I'm talking about and, and the process of networking. And it's one of the reasons why I jumped into this book project. So, okay, here's the concept. And everyone who's listening to me, go on this little journey with me. Imagine you live your life in one room. And that one room has one door. And that one door is an enter-only door. So that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You can never get them out. Now, luckily, this is a metaphor. But if it were true, Nikki, would you be more selective about the people that you've let into your life? Oh, yeah. Very selective. Yeah. Everyone says that. They all say that. And, and I certainly thought that when I first heard this concept with my co-authors. Co so then my question is, why aren't we? Mm. Because I would actually argue that it's more than a metaphor. And here's why. For everyone listening to this podcast and for you as well, Nikki, I want you to think about somebody who you got out of your life. Because a lot of people say to me, it is a metaphor because I can get people out of my life. Okay, so think of someone you got out of your life, but they were really difficult when they were in your life. And I'm not going to ask you to name them. <laughs> you don't have to say who it is. Sure. But I want you to think of a specific person. And if you're listening to this, I want you to think of a specific person and why you wanted them out of your life. Were they toxic? Were they difficult? I want you to think of a specific situation that comes to mind as to why you said, I got to get them out of my life. I can't. I don't want to be around them anymore. All right. Do you have someone in mind, Nikki? I do. Okay. Uh, hopefully everyone who's listening to this has at least one person in mind. So here's the deal. If you can still think of them, they're still in your head. And hmm. if they're in your head, they're still in your room. Because every decision you will make in the future will in some way be impacted by that person who's still in your head. You may turn down opportunities because you had a bad experience. You may 
take opportunities, but not deal with a certain kind of person because of that. It could be good choices, bad choices, but when somebody impacts your life, it affects your choices one way or another in the future. One of the people we interviewed for the book, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's a good friend of mine. He did the PBS specials on uh, neuroscience and he's a neuroscientist and psychiatrist. And one of the things he said to me when I interviewed him was the people that you have relationships with, their fingerprints are all over your brain. You'll remember those experiences for the rest of your life. And so we say in this book, if if you are going to allow people into your room and your room, you know, think for a moment, take your, take your right index finger, put it on your right temple, take your left index, index finger and put it on your left temple. The room is everything in between. Hmm. It is your brain. It's your mind. And all those experiences you have are there. And so everyone who you let in there is going to impact you forever. They will always be in your room. Now, you may put them in a box and up on a shelf, but they're still there and every now and then they jump out. So the question then is, how do you, let's start with, how do you screen more effectively the people that are still trying to gain entry into your room? And then how do you deal with the people that are already in your room that you probably shouldn't have let in or you had no choice over like family? And those are the next big questions that we hit uh, in the book, and I'm happy to take those in any, any any order you want. Well, let's talk about those you don't have any choice over, like family. So, and and this works when you bring somebody in. Sometimes uh, you may you may allow somebody into your life, and I, I don't know about you, but I've had the situation where um, they've had a, a life change, a divorce, or a, a drug problem, and and so their behavior changes. And so for people that you've let into your room that they change, or family members we had no choice over, there's a couple of things that we talk about in the book that I think are really effective. One is start a process of benign neglect. Now, mm. I don't know about you, I don't like to burn bridges. And so I generally don't say, look, man, I, I, you know, you're toxic, I don't wanna be around you anymore. It's just, I just, that's who I am. If you're talking to one of my kids, my, my son in particular, he's like, just tell them what they think, what you think. Okay, if you, if you wanna do that, feel free to, but I don't like burning bridges. So the, the process of benign neglect is actually a pretty effective technique. Now, benign neglect is where you just gradually lose touch or lose connection with an individual. Think about somebody in high school or college that you really had a good relationship with and you liked them and they were friends. But over time, that relationship just sort of dried up. Uh, you didn't really stay in touch with them that much and years have gone by and through benign neglect, you've lost that connection. Mm. Now imagine doing that with a plan. So I that like you it. Have yeah, you have a plan for benign neglect. That plan begins with homeopathic doses. Now, a homeopathic dose is the minimum dose necessary to deal with somebody that you have to deal with. For Here's an example. Let's say you're going out of town and you're going to be in a, a city maybe where you used to live or you have a friend that lives there and you don't particularly want to spend time with them because they, you, you probably shouldn't have allowed them into your room or a family member where you know, you had no choice over them being in your room. So rather than call, you know, call them up three weeks in advance and say, I'm going to be in town, you know, if you'd like to get together, um, wait until the day before and send them an email. Hey, just wanted to let you know, I'm going to be in town. I'm free between one and one thirty if you want to connect. By 
if you email them, by the next day, they may not have even read the email. And if they do, you've set the parameters. I'm free between 1 and 1.30. That's a homeopathic dose. Mm. And, and you do those homeopathic doses to gradually wean yourself away in this relationship. Now, what's even more common is that, that you know, you, you maybe have somebody who you just – you're going to see regularly for whatever reason. So they may be in your room. This is a third technique. They may be in your room, but their baggage doesn't have to be. I'll give you one or two examples if you want them. Here's my favorite example. It's a story from Rick, my co-author. And he said uh, his mother was very caustic when she was alive. And for good reason, she had a lot of, a lot of serious issues that created emotional problems for her. And she had a lot of children. And I mean, nine kids, and they were all hers. And a lot of issues that she had personally and, and often took them out on the kids. And so Rick, as an adult, he would call her every Sunday. And he'd spend some time talking to his mother. And his mother, he, he said, was so toxic and always complaining about his brothers and sisters. And he said, finally, one day I realized you know, her baggage doesn't have to be in my room. I'm her son. I want to communicate with her. I'd love to have a better relationship. But this baggage has got to get out. So this is what he did. At the end of one of the conversations, he said, Mom, um, you really have a tendency to talk a lot about my brothers and sisters and, and other people in a way that I don't think is very healthy. So from next week on, if you start really bad-mouthing people, I, I'm just going to say, Mom, I love you a lot. Uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. I'll see you later. Bye. And I'm going to hang up. And she was like, yeah, sure, Rick. Okay, fine. So next week, <laughs> like one minute into the conversation, she starts going off on one of his brothers and sisters. And he says, hey, mom, uh, I love you a lot. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. I'll see you. Bye. And hung up. Wow. And the week after that, it took maybe five or 10 minutes. He did the same thing. The week after that, it took maybe 20 minutes. Same thing. After three weeks, he said, my mother never did it again. And the last two years of her life were the best years I ever had with her because we had genuine adult conversations. He said, look, it wasn't like she didn't talk about problems that she had. She shared problems, but she didn't do it in a way that was toxic, angry, she did it in a way where she was informing me of a particular problem she had or she was asking for help, advice. And it was a mature adult conversation. He said it was the best two years of my entire life with my mother. They may be in your room, but their baggage does not have to be. And that's one way to make that happen. Ivan, that's incredible. He trained his mother how to treat he him. Did. He trained her. He did. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked. And it now, okay, you want to, want, you want the opposite end of the spectrum on how to do it? <laughs> this is a Give completely it to different me, approach. Give it to me. All right. So the other one is my other co-author, Stuart Emery. Stuart's family, is his mother-in-law in particular, knew about the book and all the concepts. And there's a concept in the book uh, called the doorman concept. And I'd love to talk about that next. But the doorman concept um, she was aware of it. And, and so she's having, he, and no, you got to understand Stuart's like in his seventies, his I'm, mother-in-law is in her nineties and she's always giving him grief about what he eats or what he drinks. 
And so one day she launched off, uh, he, he was on the phone with her and she launched off on what he eats and what he drinks. And, and she hears this click, <laughs> hangs up. So she calls him back and she says, Rick, or I mean, uh, Stuart, Stuart, did you just hang up on me? And Stuart says, no, Doris, I would never hang up on you. My doorman did, though. <laughs> and you got to understand the doorman principle to probably get that. But he basically said, this is a line in the sand. You can't do this anymore. And she didn't. She stopped doing it. Wow. So do you want to understand? Let's talk about the doorman principle. Please. Yeah. So the doorman, we think that you need, everybody needs a doorman. Now, I'm not saying you go out and hire a person to stand guard to make sure people don't come into your room. The doorman principle, and by the way, you can call it anything you want. You can call it a guard, a guardian, a bouncer. You can call it, if you're, if, you know, if you're from California, you can call it a door person. What, whatever you want to call that concept is what you call it. We agreed on calling it the doorman. And the doorman is the person who screens people out from coming into your life or into your room. And so it's your conscious and subconscious mind who you have this conversation with your doorman, which is your conscious and subconscious mind saying, wait a minute, this person may not be a good fit. They may not resonate with my values. And so what you do is you have to train your doorman on your values and when you're training your doorman on your values, you also have to start thinking about what your values are. If I ask the average person, hey, tell me, tell me five to seven of your personal values. It's like looking at a deer in headlights. They're like, what? Okay, tell me some of your personal values. Give me five of them. Five, uh, personal values. Yeah. Uh, 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 honesty. Okay, great. That's one. Give me four more. And people are just perplexed. They have never thought about their personal values. But the truth is that when you are good with your personal values, when you know what's important to you, then you train that doorman, that conscious and subconscious mind of yours to say, hey, wait a minute, does this person have values that are congruent with mine? They don't have to be the same, by the way. They just can't be dissonant. They can't um, be incongruent with your values. If they are, that's when you start having problems with people because they have values that don't match yours and, and are, are incongruent with yours. They don't, again, they don't have to be the same as yours, but they can't be dissonant with yours or create dissonance in you. And so when you have that doorman in place and, and, you, and you get good with your values, and in the book we have a chapter on how do you figure out what your values are? And we have some, a simple process to, for you to figure out your values. And there's some links to free websites where you can also consider your values. When you know what your values are, then you train that doorman to consciously be thinking of that as you meet new people and you keep them out on the porch until you understand who they are and what their values are before you bring them into your room. Does that make sense with the doorman? 100%. And so what you're doing is you're actually having this mental conversation with yourself about this individual and what values they bring to the table and whether they're resonant or dissonant. Now, resonance is an amazing thing. We talk about this in the book. If you take two pianos, and I'm not a musician, but I've seen this happen. If you take two pianos side by side, and you have one person on piano one hit the middle C key of the piano, and a person on piano two 
just press the sustain pedal. Don't hit any key. The second piano will hum. It will vibrate. You can hear it. That's resonance. So that if your values are resonant values, you have this resonance that takes place with someone else. If they're dissonant values, it's like fingers, fingernails on a chalkboard. It, it's, you know, you're really uncomfortable with that person. And so those are the people where you've got to have your doorman trained to, to, to say, look, uh, you know, this is not a relationship that I want to have. Mm-hmm. And, and so you find ways to not get into a personal or professional relationship with that individual. I love that. I love the concept of resonance. It's very powerful. It is powerful. And if you if you hear it, if you actually see it done, it's just amazing. I saw it with with a guitar and somebody who 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 hummed into the guitar and and the guitar actually vibrated. You could hear it. You know, that tone just go just as they were humming into it. And it was uh, it was really quite an amazing experience to, to see. Really? I got to yeah. check that out. I got to try that out. That sounds fantastic. So how do you how do you figure out your resonance with somebody that you're attempting to build a relationship with? Well, again, it comes back to the to the values. So well, let's say one of your de- values is making a difference. And that's a real high value for you. And. You're working with somebody where their bottom line is they just want to make money. Yeah. That is possibly a dissonant value. You know, and I like making money, Nikki. I make good money. I'm happy with the money I make, but I'm not motivated by my money. Mm. I have literally turned down seven-figure deals on things where I realized that the person that I would be working with, in my opinion, was dishonest. Yeah. You know, they, it's not like they had been arrested or anything, but I knew the way they did business. I knew the way they did business. And that was not the way I did business. And I literally turned down seven figures, uh, which would have been a real, a reasonably easy thing to, to say yes to. But I said no. And so do I like money? Yes. Am I motivated by money? No. And so if you have somebody in your in your room who's highly motivated by money and you're not, that's possibly a dissonant value. Mm, that makes sense. The other thing that I think is also important uh, to recognize is um, that as I get older, I believe less and less in words and more and more in behaviors. Mm. So don't pay as much attention to the things they say. Pay more attention to what they do because their behaviors are their true values. Hmm. And that too means you need to take time. You know, you can't determine someone's values by just the things they say, because people will say whatever they think you want to hear. But observe their values. Uh, Rick had another story about somebody that uh, he had talked to who professed that, you know, family was really important and it was the number one thing in their life. But when he went to visit him to potentially do business, the guy never introduced him to any of the family members, and he wanted to go to a, a gentleman's club. And, um, wow. and Rick is like, okay, those values aren't completely congruent with, with what you're saying. And he realized the behavior didn't match the words. And his doorman said, nope, 
I'm not going to do business with this guy. And he turned him down. That's what I'm talking about. Look at behaviors. Imagine somebody, and, and think about your own behaviors and values. Imagine somebody is following you with a video camera mm. 24-7 for a week. Would the video camera catch you doing the things that are part of your values? Or would they be dissonant with the values that you say you have? Now, there's nothing wrong with having aspirational values. I want to be better at this. But then your behavior should show that you're trying to be better at this and not that you're just doing the same old stuff. Yeah, that's a powerful exercise. I got to say, my behavior is pretty good, but it's not 100% good. There's stuff, there's stuff I probably would rather not be captured on camera 24-7. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I think everybody has that to some extent. But yeah. still, it's, you know, for the most part, are you living your values? For the most part, and I'd say I am. But 5% of the time, I got to say, I've done stuff I'm not proud of. And, and, and when I look back on it, I resolve to do better and I strive to do better. But I'm human and I make mistakes and I do stupid stuff. And uh, sometimes I look back and regret with some of the stupid things I've done. And this is especially poignant to me given the experience I just went through with my father's passing. It's just teaching me that it's really important to keep my eye on the ball. Well, you know, there's a great Chinese saying, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? And the answer is uh, 25 years ago. <laughs> uh, the second part of the answer is, when's the second best time? And the answer is today. And so for anyone that has aspirational values, it's never too late. Start with those aspirational values today and, and start with the behaviors that match those aspirational values today. No, it's super true. There was a story that my mother told me uh, last week when she first married my father. Um, he worked three jobs to, to get the family ahead. And one night he was late coming home from work. And uh, back then they didn't have, um, we're Christians from the Middle East, from Iran. And uh, they didn't have a car. They couldn't afford it. So he would take a, a taxi. And taxis were relatively cheap because gas is cheap in Iran, right? Being an oil-rich company, country. And uh, so he, he came home late and my mom asked him, hey, why are you late? And he said, well, I saw this, this young woman. She was walking down the street with a baby in her arms and... You know, I had the cab stop and I asked her, hey, what are you doing? How come you're walking alone with the baby in your arms? She goes, well, you know, I'm trying to get home, but I don't have money for a cab, so I'm just going to walk. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you home. And so he gave her a lift and she lived across town the other way. So he gave her a lift and then he drove, he paid for the cab ride for her and he went all the way back home. And that, that was the kind of man that my father was, you, you mm. know, and he would always do stuff like this. Like, I mean, this was... This was not an unusual example for him. It was the norm. I remember being a teenager in a parking lot with him, and uh, he, 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 he sideswiped another car getting out of the parking lot. And then he got out, he found a piece of paper, he got a pen, he wrote a note, he put it on the guy's windshield. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm leaving the guy a note with my name and number, telling him I had his car, so he can call me and I'll pay for the damage. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't have to do that. They're never going to know. He says, son, I'm going to know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I just, those are the lessons that I learned from my father 
uh, about how to operate and be in the world that way. And I think that matches very powerfully with what you said. The older that you get, the more you watch people's behavior and the less you listen to what they say. Right. Yeah, very true. Very true. No, that's that's fantastic. I'm loving this. This is awesome. So what are some of the other powerful points that are part of the the message of the book? So one of the the last sections of the book, which I think is really powerful, is the whole idea of balance. How do you have balance in your life? So, Nikki, would you like to hear what we believe is the secret to balance? Please, I'd love it. Forget about balance. It's not possible. (laughs) Now, when I say this to an audience, I usually get somebody up front who goes, oh, gosh, I I thought I was going to get something good. All right. I think you're going to get something good. But let me start with the concept of balance. I think all too often we look at balance like scales, a scale. And, and our life has to be completely in balance on the scale of life, where where our personal life is in balance with our business, which is in balance with our health, which is in balance with our spirituality, and it's all balanced. My, I have found, especially as an entrepreneur, but I think almost all people feel this way, is that life's more like a juggling act than a balancing act. And you're just constantly juggling things. And so it's very important that you learn, I believe, that life's not about balance. And that if you are striving for balance, you will always be frustrated because it's almost impossible to maintain. So instead of balance, we have a different perspective. Although we don't believe that balance is viable, we do believe that harmony is viable. And it's more than just semantics. As a matter of fact, even the graphic for harmony, the yin and the yang, even that graphic is out of balance if you separate them. So the two separated are out of balance. The two images of the yin and the yang. Uh, but together they create harmony. And I think, I think life is much more about harmony than it is about balance. So how do you create a life of harmony? Uh, let me give you some, some techniques that we talk about in the book uh, to create a life of harmony. Uh, the first is three simple words. Really simple. Simple sounding. Hard to do, but simple sounding. Three simple words. Be here now. Be here now. So don't be at work thinking about the fact that you didn't spend time with the family last night. And don't be at home with the family uh, beating yourself up about the project that you've got at the office. Wherever you are, try to be fully and completely present to that moment. Nobody's perfect at this, but the better you get at it, the more you're connected with the people around you. I remember, my son's 26, I remember when he was 17, so it was nine years ago, we're sitting in front of a big, big screen TV and we're playing a game of Halo and he was kicking my butt, Nick. He was just kicking my butt. I I always lose on all video games to my son, so I get it. Yeah, so... We were leveling up to the next level, and I turned to him, and I said, hey, buddy, was I around enough for you as you, as you grew up? And he looked at me, Nikki, as though I were completely crazy, and he said, what? 
I said, was I around enough? He said, you're around all the time. I said, okay, so you, you remember I travel about every other week to different places around the world. I'm gone for anywhere from three days to, to the week. I said, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Did you notice? He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know you travel a lot, but I don't know. Um, it's like when you're here, you're, you're like here. So can we get back to the game now? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can get back to the game now. And we got back to the game. But what was amazing to me was here's a guy with, I literally have 2.3 million miles on one airline alone. Wow. And, and my son, who was 17, says, yeah, you're around all the time. I'm not. I wasn't physically around all the time. But when I was around, I tried to be present. And that's the secret to be here now is and nobody's perfect at this. I never was, but uh, I got to be pretty good at being fully present. Here's another one. If you do that one, that one alone can make a, a, a huge difference. Here's another one. You have to practice letting go and holding on. Contrary to popular belief, we do not believe you can have it all. People who say you can have it all are trying to sell you something. It, it's just, I don't believe it's true. Uh, I've met people who are experts in relationships and yet their relationships are messed up. You know, yeah. they, they, they talk about you can have it all. And I've met people who are very successful in business and not don't have a good relationship or have a great relationship and they can't run a business. And so I don't, I don't buy into this. You can have it all. I think instead you need to practice letting go and holding on. So what do you let go of? You let go of everything that doesn't fit your values. And when you really take a look at all the activities that you have, I think the listeners might be surprised that they're doing some things that are actually not in alignment with the values that they came up with. And so you want to let go of every single thing in your life that's not in alignment with your values. And then you need to hold on for dear life of everything in your life that is congruent with your values. So you hold on to those things that relate to your values and you let go of those things that don't. And the better you get at that, the more you live a life of harmony. Do you want one more? Give it to me, my friend. I'm loving it. Okay, I'll give you two more. Here's one more. Create margins in your life. Just like a paper has margins around it, uh, a book has margins around the page. It's important that your life has margins. In this crazy everyday living that we have, we're being bombarded with so many things and there's so much that we have to do. It's all part of that juggling act that I think it's really important that you create margins. And those margins might be, for some people, they might meditate. For other people, they might um, exercise. Uh, some people might spend time reading a book. You know, some people might want to watch a movie, what, whatever it is. I, for me, ever since I was a young man, I, I had what I called mental health days. Whereas one day a week, I just, I wouldn't work, wouldn't, wouldn't go out. Uh, you know, I'd spend time with the family. I'd watch movies, watch TV shows I like, barbecue, go out in the pool, you know, just that's a time, that's downtime. Mm. A few years ago, I met a guy, uh, well, he worked for me. He managed one of the properties that, that I have. And he did such a great job. He said to me, um, I haven't had a vacation in seven years. And I remember saying to him, man, you're an idiot. <laughs> and we, we had a good relationship, but I could be really honest with him. I said, you're crazy. What do you mean you haven't had a vacation in seven years? That's just, that's not a good idea. He said, no, you know, I don't have the time to do it. 
I said, look, man, uh, I will. This was up in um, Big Bear, up in the mountains. Oh, I, I said, I, I've been to Big Bear. I love Big Bear. It's awesome. I, I had some properties up there. Loved, loved Big Bear. And I said to him, look, I'll give you a vacation. The Marriott in Palm Springs, beautiful location. I'll get a long weekend for you or a week for you, whatever you want. I'll put you up there. Go take a week off and I'll pay for the hotel. And he said, no. He said, no. And he was wondering why he was so stressed out. Well, that that was one reason, man. You have to recharge your batteries. And so you have to create margins in your life if you want to live a life of harmony. I'll give you one last one. And this is one of my favorites. You, you have to learn how to live in your flame and not in your wax. Mm. Now, when you're living in your flame, you're on fire, you're excited, you love what you're doing. People can, they can see it in the way you behave. They can hear it in your voice. When you're living in your wax, you just hate what you're doing. And people can see it in the way you behave and they can, hear it in the way you talk. And so find things in your life that are your flame and incorporate that into your life. Certainly your business, if you're, if you're, you know, employed or you're, you have your own company, you, you need to find things in that company that are your flame. The more you can be working in your flame and not in your wax, the happier your life can be. The more you surround yourself with people that are resonant with you, the happier you're going to be. And the more your life is your flame and not your wax. And these are just a handful. We have more, but those are a handful of things that you can do to learn how to create a life of harmony versus um, balance. And all of that is in the book, Who's in Your Room? So, Ivan, can I buy 20 copies of that book directly from you and have you sign them for me? Would that be okay? Absolutely. You've got my contact information. We're going to make that happen. Yeah. We're going to make that happen. That'd be awesome. So, number one. And Will you come back again? Can we continue this conversation? I mean, it's just, I, I love speaking to you because you think and you speak in complete sentences and paragraphs. What you have to say <laughs> comes directly from the heart and it makes a difference. And the people who listen to this show, they want to make the difference they were born to make. And what you're doing in sharing your heart with them is you're showing by example and inspiration how you have made the difference you're born to make. And that gives them permission to do the same. So I'd be honored to do this with you, not just one more time, but as many times as I can get you back on because you're an amazing guest. Uh, Nikki, thank you. I really appreciate those kind words, and I'm happy to come back. I'm always working on new material. I've, I'm, I'm gonna. I have. I think I have two books scheduled to come out this year. So, I'm happy to come back anytime and and talk about uh, any of my material, Nikki. Uh, and I appreciate it. Awesome. Good. Then we're going to make it happen. And you know that uh, your friend Kai and I are writing a new book together, which you've been kind enough to agree to write the forward for. Thank you very much for that. And, My pleasure. And uh, I'm really excited about uh, about having Ivan Meisner's uh, name uh, in the forward of our new book. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff. That's pretty cool stuff. Happy to do it. I really am. Thank you. So we like to end off each and every episode by borrowing uh, a time-honored technique from our mutual friend, Raymond Aaron, which is to have you share with our listener three expert action steps that they can take on immediately in their life, in their business, to get to that best version of themselves. So what say you? So the, the, I think based on our topic today, the first thing is um, to really understand the concept of your room. 
Understand that concept and hire a doorman. Mm. That mental, that, that conscious and subconscious doorman, commit to creating a doorman in your life. Then, then get good with your values. And if you don't know where to start with values, start with deal breakers. Start with deal breakers and move to values. If I ask people what their deal breakers are, boom, they've got them right now. I, I just can't stand this. So start with that and then get good with your values so that you know what your values are. And then once you have those values, apply the techniques of benign neglect and homeopathic doses, draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward, I will not accept this kind of behavior in my room. Uh, I will not accept people into my room that have these kinds of values. And I'm going to do everything to protect my room and to create a life of harmony. There's probably three or four or five things that you can do off of what I just summarized. I love it. I love it. Those are very powerful expert action steps. Listener, Ivan Meisner is clearly the real deal. And in listening to Ivan, you might be thinking to yourself, Nikki, how do I become the best version of myself? How do I make the difference I was born to make? How do I speak my authentic truth? And that's a fantastic question. First of all, buy a few copies of Ivan's book, Who's in Your Room. Read one and give away a bunch more and make sure you take good notes and you implement some of the things he's talked about. You do that, that's going to help you move far along the way to be the best version of yourself. Secondly, if you're listening to this show, you are at your core a heart leader because you lead from your heart. You want to make a difference. And for you to be able to take that difference that that you want to make and turn it into financial success. Because as Ivan said, you're not motivated by money, but you are motivated by making a difference. And you love to make a good amount of money. Making a good amount of money is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Then for you to do that, you need to go and watch the masterclass webinar that we have on our website, ecircleacademy.com. It's absolutely free. It's going to give you a blueprint on how to take that heart leadership that you have, that expertise that you have, and turn it into powerful, viable commercial success, as well as massive impact. Go ahead, watch that masterclass and take really, really good notes. And that wraps up another powerful episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Ivan Meisner, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com, go to the show notes, pick up a copy of his book and make sure that you watch that masterclass and take really good notes and create a blueprint to take your life and your business to the next level. Until next time, goodbye.